Hi everyone, welcome to the Life Around the Table podcast. Here you can expect to find teachings, interviews, devotions, and other discussions about faith, life, culture, and the church. If there is any way we can serve you or answer any questions that you might have about our church, feel free to reach out at hello at thetablechurch.us. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. Okay, welcome to the Life Around the Table podcast. My name is Cody. I am the pastor of teaching and discipleship for the Table Community Church here in the Gallatin Valley. And as usual, glad you are tuning in with us wherever you are and whenever you are listening to this. I hope this finds you well. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip on over to Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Again, that's Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And as you are making your way there, we are, as a church, walking through a few of the parables that illustrate for us the nature of the kingdom of God and its implications for our lives here and now. And now, if you listen to last week's teaching, we talked about how parables, the parables that Jesus uses, they're, they're simply allegories that are on the surface very simple. But as we begin to contemplate them further, we discover that they're quite disruptive and actually deeply profound. They are meant to challenge our thinking about reality, God, and the good life, and, and our purpose in life as we are following Jesus. And so one of my favorite descriptions of the parables comes from a scholar named C.H. Dodd, and he has famously said that, at its simplest, a parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt to its precise application to tease the mind into active thought. I love that. That's just really rich. Leaving the mind in sufficient doubt to its precise application to tease the mind into active thought. And so basically what he is saying is the parables, they are meant to instill a healthy sense of doubt about the direction we are naturally inclined to move in life and to make us sit and think about the trajectory we are on and lead us to a place of reorientation, or as the biblical word is, repentance, a complete renewal of the way we see reality and the way in which we live into that reality. And so that's important to keep in mind as we talk about parables. And so with that in mind, let's read Matthew 13, 30, sorry, Matthew 13, 44 through 46, and we will pray and then jump into the teaching. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these simple yet profound illustrations about the kingdom of God. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, and as we navigate your word, Lord, would you just inspire us? Would you inspire our hearts to move closer to you and to become more like Jesus by the power of your Spirit who is within us? We thank you for your presence in our lives and what you're doing even in the midst of these chaotic times. Lord, you are good even when things are not. And so help us believe that as we walk through this text. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, just short verses, but filled with significance, as you'll find. And so, um, yeah, so probably like many of you listening, growing up, I found found things to collect. I went through 
phases like collecting rocks, Pokemon cards, baseball cards, and Pogs. I don't know if you remember Pogs. There's those little uh, circle things, and I don't even remember how to play it, but I just remember what they were. And so I collected those things called Pogs. And again, even if you know what those things are, uh, yeah. So um, I might be dating myself here just a little bit, but in every area of collecting, there's always that one sort of holy grail of an item that you want more than anything, that you'd be willing to trade off or sell most, if not all, of your current collection in order to have it. And that, that I think that's true in any sphere of collecting things, you know? And so, you know, with Pokemon, for example, um, it was this creature called Charizard. And that was the one I wanted. That was that was the one. If I could find that one, I wanted that more than anything. And I, man, I, I went to every gas station, Walmart, and I ripped open every Pokemon package hoping to find it. And I was always let down. And I never really had like the $100 and $150 on hand at any given time to buy the ones that were available. When I did, they were sold out. And so I could never get my hands on this Charizard. And now, I, I would have traded my whole set for that one card. That was the holy grail of the Pokemon cards when, when they had first come out. At least, that was the one I was obsessed with. And I remember having some friends that had one, and I was so jealous. But the same was true with baseball cards, too. I wanted more than anything this particular Nolan Ryan card. And what made it worse is that my older brother had one. And I remember sneaking into his room and just staring at it. I was infatuated with it. Now, And, and he would always tell me that he would give it to me, you know, if, if I did stuff for him. But, but that never did, that day never came. And that was far from the truth. Kind of, kind of a mean joke there. But I wanted that card more than anything. And I never got it. That was the holy grail of baseball cards. And one of the things that's cool for me now, actually, is I love seeing Cove, my son, in that phase with Pokemon and baseball cards. And that little kid, I t I'll tell you what, in, w in one of his first Pokemon packs he ever got, there was a Charizard. I was like, are you kidding me? And then we get them, we get him this baseball card collection, and he got this rare Dale Murphy from the Atlanta Braves, Dale Murphy card. And I was like, "What? Are you you kidding me?" And it, man, I was I was just blown away that you know I had spent my whole childhood gawking after these cards, and the kid goes to you know Target twice and gets these rare cards. I was like, "What the heck?" You know, you know. But at some at some point though. Uh, there are certain things that we collect that become priceless to us. You know, it doesn't matter how much we have to pay for them. We want them. And this, this relates into music tickets, you know, for a rare concert or whatever. We all know those things that we'd be willing to pay more to have. The objects become priceless. Not worthless, but priceless to us. And so Jesus, in these two parables here, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like that. It is like the treasure you unexpectedly found. It is like finding the holy grail of pearls that you have spent your whole career looking for. It's arriving at that joyful exhale and saying, finally, I got it. You know, and so if you were listening in last week, we talked a little bit about this kingdom because this is what the parables that we are looking at here are all about, the kingdom. And I wanted to expand our discussion a little bit on that. You know, we talked about how it is living under the rule and reign of God here and now as we wait for the time to come. And it's about living in such a way that we somehow connect heaven and earth and experience joy and share it with others again here and now. Now, we also need to add on to that and talk about how the kingdom is this spiritual dynamic at, at it's something that God does within us. It's something he brings to birth within our own lives. And for example, in John 3, 3 through 5, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can even see the kingdom of God 
unless they are born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And so it's something spiritual that brings a deepened sense of life and a new dimension to life that we were formerly unaware of. And again, this new dimension and reality to our hearts that just brings a sense of vitality. It's a spiritual thing. It always can't be explained in physical ways. But the kingdom is also physical. We find the physical manifestations and outworkings of the kingdom all throughout the New Testament. In verses like Matthew 10, verses 7 through 8, Jesus says this, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick and raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. And in another passage, in Luke, Jesus tells us, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight to the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so these are the horizontal outworkings of the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God looks like seeking the well-being of those around us through prayer, and in through prayer, seeing God's hand move and things like miracles, we as a church at the table, we believe God still does that through his people today. And so we still, we still petition and pray for those who are sick. But yeah, through prayer, through social action, and sharing our lives as an embodiment of the good news, these are the ways in which the kingdom can be seen here and now. You know, when our hearts discover this, it's like that hidden treasure. It's like that pearl of all pearls that have been found. It's quite wonderful. It's quite wonderful. So let's put some context to these two parables to help kind of bridge that cultural gap. Because upon first reading these parables, it sounds kind of strange. But let's look at this just a little bit. And so for the hidden treasure, the first one, you see, it wasn't uncommon for people during this time to stumble across buried treasures and resources. You know, in this area of Palestine, there was constantly conflict. And it was subject to war. And the land was always being transferred to different powers and governing authorities. And so there was always this movement that was happening on this particular land. And during this time, there was no such thing as a safety deposit box or insured banks. And so the safest place when you had to get up and go was to bury it in a spot where only you knew where it would be. War would come and it would go and hopefully you would return and dig it up and move on. Now, if you weren't able to return or perhaps you died, the treasure just simply remained there until someone else found it because no one else knew where it was. This was a common thing. There's actually a rabbinical saying from this time that says the safest place to put your money is in the ground. Now, so that, that's important just to show you how common this was. This is not something that, you know, is unlikely. Again, these are likely stories that resonate with the listeners, but they have a subversive message to them. Now, upon first glance, some people challenge the morality of this man finding the treasure on someone else's land and then buying the land rather than telling the landowner. But when we look at the law codes back in this time, it was well within the acceptable business dealings, and the landowner could also himself lie and say, hey, wait wait, wait a minute, I put that treasure there, that's my treasure, when, it, when he didn't. And so it's not really a moral dilemma, and that's not the point. The point is what is found. It's something worth giving up everything for in order to have. And in a real way, this man unexpectedly dug up deep joy. He dug up deep joy. Let that imagery just sit there with you for a second of digging up joy. I don't know about you guys, but I know there's a lot of areas in my life 
where I could use one of those spiritual shovels right now and dig up an unexpected sense of joy in my life. You see, joy is not the word I don't think that most of us would flock to or use to describe our lives right now. Joy seems in many ways impossible, improbable, kind of a distant, far-off dream. We're just simply trying to survive. And so joy sounds foreign. You know, when we talk about joy, we're talking about this enduring sense of goodness, even when things are not. Joy is not this fluctuating emotion like happiness, though we always, we always talk about I'm, I'm pro-happy if we're voting. I'm pro-happy. But there are some things in life that are not that, that we need something more enduring than an emotional state of happiness. And that's joy. And then this parable says that joy could be right underneath your feet at any given time. The kingdom is around you and available to you. And the question that this text is making me ask is, am I digging for it? You see, scholars believe that Jesus uses this idea of contrast to drive home points about certain elements of equality that's found in the kingdom of God. He uses parables of men and women, of rich and poor. And the contrast here, I think, could be important if it's true. And, and so what you find here is this man, that scholars believe that this man is poor since he had to sell everything to get this greater prize, this, this joy. He, he, had, he was joyful and he was willing to release everything for it. But in order to get the field, he had to get rid of everything. He had to. Now, they say the other man was a merchant and was likely wealthy and chose to sell everything. He chose it. He didn't have to. He chose to. And so there's a difference here. But nonetheless, joy is available to both. And that's good news for those of us in place of distress and for those of us who are in places of not so much distress. There's a diversity that exists within this parable where whether you're poor or rich, down or up, whatever the case, joy is available. Because I know a lot of people who are feeling good in life, but they're not experiencing joy. They may be having situational happiness, but they're not having joy. And so it's important for both groups of people to ask, do I have an enduring sense of goodness and contentment and satisfaction in God? I think that's what's going on here. And so that's the man with the hidden treasure. Now, now with the traveling merchant, he did not, like the, like the former parable, he did not simply stumble upon it, or it didn't seem to be. He didn't stumble upon the treasure. He was actively seeking one. He was actively seeking a, a, a pearl. It seems to be the case. This has been the entirety of his career. You see, pearls still, much like today, were some of the most valuable possessions. And if this guy is a merchant of pearls, then he knows what the seller may not know the true value of this pearl. And so he finally finds the one that he has been looking for. And without thinking twice, he too sells everything. He basically goes out of business to have the pearl of pearls. I know of this, uh, of this guy. I, I used to live in Colorado, and, and one of the things, like I said, I used to collect was rocks, and I never found any good ones. But I knew of this, uh, this guy in Colorado who who was an avid collector of rocks, and he came across, I can't even remember the name of the type of rock, and so just forgive me for the incomplete story here, but he came across this rock um, at, this, at this one store up in Georgetown, Colorado, and it was a beautiful rock. I mean, it was gorgeous, uh, but it was going for like, I think, 50 bucks, and he walked in there and he bought it and within like a second, he didn't. He wasted no time, and the reason being is because he actually studied rocks. He was a, he was a he was a geologist, and so he studied rocks 
quite a bit, and he knew that the rock that he had seen in that little case was worth far more than 50 bucks. Turns out, that particular rock ended up being worth over three grand, and he bought it for 50 bucks. You see, he, as a, as a merchant, as an expert, knew what the seller did not, and that's what's happening here in this text. He was looking. He had an eye for it. When no one else had an eye for it, he did. And so there's this difference here between the two. And these, these couple of differences are important between the two parables. You see, first we mentioned the possible difference between the two men's social or economic status. There could be a difference there, and that's important. And secondly, one discovered the treasure, the other was actively seeking one. There's a little bit of a difference. Again, this represents the diversity of the kingdom and how we all arrive in the same kingdom exclusively through Jesus, but we may arrive there in different ways. Now, let me be clear. I am not saying that all roads lead to the same place like we so often hear in contemporary culture. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the kingdom is available wherever you are if you receive Jesus and if you are looking for him. Or if you happen to stumble upon the kingdom of God through life circumstance and situations, recognizing it for what it is. That's the two things that are happening here. So that's the diversity of how God brings us into the kingdom. Again, not that all roads lead to the same place, but that the kingdom is available wherever you are if we will receive Jesus. You know, some find the kingdom in a church. Some find the kingdom in a prison cell. Some find the kingdom on mission trips thousands of miles away. And some find the kingdom on their living room floor crying out to God in a moment of deep despair. The point that these parables bring together is unified statements that the most valuable possession we have is a place in the kingdom because from it and in it, our longing for value and joy is fulfilled. Additionally, these parables bring to the surface a hard truth that entrance into the kingdom is free, grace is free, salvation is free, but a life oriented around the kingdom might cost us earthly citizenship. It does cost us earthly citizenship. And so these two points of the value and joy of the kingdom, but also the cost of discipleship are pervasive in these two short, seemingly insignificant parables. Now, that's how we are to understand these simple yet profound statements here. The point is that the kingdom is hidden, but for the purposes of being found, and it may be found in a variety of ways, but the kingdom is available to us wherever we are, that joy, life, and, and sense of value. And so, what are we to do with this parable? How does this parable challenge us to respond? I think a few things are important here. First, we need to acknowledge that we are all searching for value and meaning and deep joy. We have to acknowledge that. We are all digging in the field looking for something that we don't have, this enduring sense of goodness and joy and hope and vitality. Now, there's been quite a bit of research done that has led sociologists and psychologists alike to describe our current culture as one in a crisis of meaninglessness. That's the way they describe it, a crisis of meaninglessness, which has affected depression, relational life, suicide rates, and anxiety. And the studies show that even those who don't believe that life has meaning are still just as likely as religious people to ascribe meaning to their lives nonetheless. And so saying life is meaningless is not really something that people 
by in practice, even if they do in theory. And we know that having meaning increases health and helps those who have been hurt recover quickly. You know, we're wired for meaningfulness, but despite the research, we are in a crisis of meaninglessness, of a sense where we don't feel valued or we don't have, is there value to this life? You know, one well-known professor of psychology and psychological scientist, his name's Clay Rutledge, he writes in his book, Supernatural, he says this, he says, finding meaning is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Meaning does not erase the pain, but it helps keep those grieving from loss mentally healthy. In fact, there is now sizable scientific literature on the importance of meaning for general psychological health, as well as coping with trauma and loss. Clay goes on to say that value is a necessity to our thriving as humans. Now, these studies were done prior to COVID-19, so I can only imagine what the crisis looks like now. You know, but the problem is, is we often sacrifice so much seeking joy and happiness in life. But if you look at this parable closely, something happens that's a little bit backwards. You see, the sacrifice, the giving up of a way of life comes after the experience of deep value and joy, not before. See, when we experience the joy of Jesus, we realize what matters most, and our search for value and joy becomes filled in Christ. And so we need to, we need to acknowledge that we often look, we often look for it in the wrong places, the things that we need to value and joy that our hearts crave. And so we end up breaking our backs and sacrificing families, sacrificing wholeness and healthiness, seeking these things. But, again, this text says the sacrifice, the giving up of one's way of life happens after you discover joy. So joy first. Isn't that remarkable? That God wants to give us joy. And that joy inspires us to surrender our lives to him. And that moves us to the second thing that we can do with this text. I think secondly, we need to dig for our true joy and value. You see, the parable is frustrating and freeing, as we talked about last week, because it is telling us that the deep joy we crave is only fully realized in the kingdom. This is frustrating because we live in America where our founding documents elevate the individual pursuit of happiness. Yet every bit of research, again, being done indicates that the only thing increasing right now is Americans' lack of happiness. The Americans' lack of happiness. Each year, the World Happiness Report is released, and it's a survey based on global research considering a ton of different research outlets, and it weighs several factors from socioeconomic, political, to more recently the digital world and happiness, which is interesting. Well, in 2019, they showed how happiness in America is strange because even when things seem to be going well or improving, mental health and happiness are not. Uh, the World Report on Happiness stated this in 2019. It said, The decline in happiness and mental health seems to be paradoxical. By most accounts, Americans should be happier now than ever. The violent crime rate is low, as is the unemployment rate. Income per capita has steadily grown over the last few decades. This is the Easterlin paradox. As the standard of living improves, so should happiness. But it has not. But it has not. 
they're showing that Americans are more unhappy now than they've ever been. And again, this is before COVID-19. I don't even want to see the 2020 report. So before the pandemic, we had a, a deeper pandemic of a lack of satisfaction in life. People not experiencing ongoing value and meaning. And especially for young people, if you're talking to millennials and younger and you're trying to invite them into the kingdom of God, meaning and redirected desire, that's the place to start, not with a whole bunch of cold, hard facts, but with meaning. Millennials and younger, they would rather be in a job that pays less but is more meaningful than to be in a job that pays more that feels like a dead end. And so for the if you're trying to reach young people, this is an important point, that people are feeling a lack of meaning in life. But this parable, these two parables are about finding that thing that's worth giving everything up for. And so Americans are becoming less happy, which is ironic because we have more options, freedoms, and opportunities than most. And we, and here's the thing. It's an election year, and so politics plays a huge role in people's uh, emotional state, no doubt. But we can't blame our opposing political party for our unhappiness, which is often the case. Because here's the thing. Happiness has dwindled under each party's administration over the last several years, and if we think that the other side is the problem and that we are the solution to people's happiness, I think Jesus might say something about that. I think he might say, your joy is not complete in the right or the left, but in, in bringing what is up down into our lives. It's not right, it's not left, it's up. That's the source of your true, ongoing, enduring sense of joy. Is not left, it's not right, it's up. It's bringing what's up down into our lives here and now. During election seasons in particular, we tend to gravitate towards the fact that just getting the right political candidate in the office is going to uh, solve everything. But that's just not true. People are statistically unhappy, whoever, regardless of whoever is in office. And it's been on decline for a long time. You know, even in fact, when, when the recession rebounded and things started to improve again, it has shown that happiness did not. It just kept going down, even though things, situationally, were looking up. There is something missing in the heart of many of us Western Americans that we've got to come to grips with. I mean, we, we, we dig through the dirt of politics looking for joy. We dig through the dirt of our jobs looking for joy. We dig through the dirt of a relationship looking for joy or value or meaning. We dig through the dirt of our bank accounts, and the list goes on, but we always come up hitting rocks and not treasure. The only soil we will find, the hidden treasure that our hearts crave, is following Jesus as king and receiving his way of life as the way to wholeness and joy and value and meaning. We have to dig. We have to dig for our sense of joy and value and meaning. Because here's the thing. What's on the surface doesn't cut it. What's on the surface of the earth does not cut it. We have to dig because what this earth offers on the surface is not goodness, is not wholeness and lasting joy. And the parables illustrate the importance of intently and intensely seeking the kingdom of God. It is available. It is found by those who are looking, but we have to break the cultural soil and get down deeper. We won't find what our hearts crave and need on the surface. And so we've, we've got to do some digging within our own hearts and figure out where am I locating that? Where am I locating my sense of joy and meaning? And that moves us into the last thing here. We need to ask honestly if there are things in our lives that we are not willing to surrender to Jesus. The parables are not teaching us that we must sell our possessions and become poor. That's not what this is saying. No, no, no. If you look closely again, the men sold everything and then inherited something greater. 
the parable is challenging us to look into our hearts and to look into our lives and identify if there is anything that we value more than Jesus. And if we value something more than Jesus, here's what we'll do. We will end up attaching our value to that thing instead of Jesus. We, we can identify these things simply by asking questions like, well, if I did not have, or if I did have blank, I would feel found or lost in life, or I would be undone if I don't get this, whatever this is. You see, we often resist Jesus, not because we don't love him, but because we love him just a little less than we do something else in life. And we struggle to think about what following Jesus might cost us. It's not that we don't believe in God. It's that we believe something may be a little bit better than God. And that's a dangerous nuance. And so here's the problem. The parable reveals two guys who joyfully, not begrudgingly, joyfully surrendered because they knew the value of what they found. They didn't count their losses. They counted their gains. Here's what so often happens. When people begin to feel the tug of Jesus, one of the things that I think happens is we begin to think about what is this going to cost me? This is going to cause me to lose this, 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 this friendship, this relationship, this influence, this sphere of life, this way of doing things. We focus so much on what we lose, we forget about what we gain. And if we just do calculation of loss, we will not ever seriously commit to following Jesus. We may add, try to add on bits and pieces of the kingdom here and there, but a full surrender is typically out of the question when we are focused on what we lose rather than what we gain. The Apostle Paul, writing from prison in a cell, waiting trial, possibly facing death, writes this, to the, writes this to the church in Philippi. He says this, he says, Whatever gains I had, these have become to, I've, I've come to regard these as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. Now, in that passage, Paul primarily identified Jesus as Christ five times. That word Christ, it means anointed king. And so Paul is oriented right now around King Jesus. Whatever I had, I counted as loss because I gained Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. There's something deeply joyful and meaningful about following the way of Jesus, even if you're sitting in a prison cell like the Apostle Paul. That's joy. Being able to write that, something like that, when you're facing death, that's joy. And so the encouragement here, as we close, is that the treasure of great joy is right underneath our feet, and it's right around the corner if we are looking for it. We just have to dig and we have to intensely look. It may come up on us unexpectedly. Lean into that. We may be looking for it for a long time and finally realize that what the thing that we looked for, been looking for the whole time is Jesus himself. But the value is there. We just have to recognize it. I have a friend who has a friend that experienced something remarkable that helps drive this point home. There's this, uh, my friend's friend, and his wife is a couple that inherited this vase from their grandparents who were missionaries in China for quite some time. 
Now, this vase had been in the family for years, and the kids growing up would play with it. Um, you know, it would fall over just like kids make things do, and it'd be picked back up, and the cycle would continue. But come to find out over the years that the vase was actually a rare piece that ended up being worth like $40 million. And here's the funny thing is they spent their whole lives having something of such great value right inside their home, and it just took looking at it in the right way through the right lens to find out its true value. You see, the kingdom is like that. The treasure is right in front of you. The pearl that you know you've been looking for is right there. We, re we receive it by opening ourselves up in full surrender because of the joy that God brings into our life. And so joy, this enduring sense of goodness, even when things are not so good, is available. But it's only available through the kingdom. And so whether you are a follower of Jesus or finding his word on joy to be tempting, seek him, search him out. You will find him because he has first found you. And so as you take this parable and integrate it into your life this week, I, pr I pray that you experience the grace and peace and joy that comes from surrendering your, surrendering your life to the king and living in the direction of his kingdom. Well, we hope this resource has been meaningful for you during this time in your life. If you have any questions, needs, or want to share about what God is up to in your life with us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at thetablechurch.us. Again, that is hello at thetablechurch.us. Also, feel free to share, review, and rate this podcast, and be sure to subscribe with us on iTunes to keep up. We look forward to connecting with you.